0: You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about, actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial
1: planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach.
0: And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property.
1: Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you you want to listen on to hear what he has to say about how the auction reserve price is not that important.
2: Most agents think it's all about price, and it's not all about price at all. I have never met anybody that wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to sell my house because it should be worth
1: $2 million. They're
2: going to wake up and they go, I'm going to sell my house because it's too big, or it's too small, or
1: I hate my wife. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started... Everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you are looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now, let's get cracking.
0: This week, we're picking the brains of auctioneer David Scholes. Now, David commenced work in rural Australia conducting stock and station agency auctions. He moved to Sydney in the early 90s to concentrate on auctioning residential and commercial real estate and now conducts some 1,000 auctions annually. Only 1,000?
2: I've retired. Semi-retired?
0: Right. (laughs) Okay. In Sydney, Brisbane and (laughs) Melbourne. His regular clients include major financial institutions as well as some of the largest and most respected names in the Australian corporate and property sectors. In recognition of David's continued support to the real estate industry, he was awarded the highest and most coveted award in real estate, the prestigious Woodrow Waite Award. And when was that, David?
2: Um, I can't remember. <laughs>
0: okay. I didn't <laughs> write it down. Three years ago. So, three I think years three, ago. Three or four years ago. Out of curiosity, before I continue introducing you, and I'm sorry to cut in like this, but do you submit an application for that award? That is a true award. Mm. Oh, well, congratulations on that.
2: Thank you. Now, it's granted by the president of the Real Estate Institute.
0: As opposed to all the other awards in the real estate arena where people submit their own application for the award. I just want to make that distinction because it is a big distinction. Much of David's success is attributed to working closely with real estate sales teams, which is actually how I got to know him back in my selling days in the early 2000s. Welcome
1: David. Thank you Veronica, thank you Chris. Thank you David, thank you for being here. to okay, get stuck right into it and I was reading on your website and it says that auctioneering is far more than describing a property. It is timing and ability to build immediate rapport with the buyers. A relaxed, friendly attitude that makes bidders comfortable, an intimate knowledge of the product being offered and of the current market conditions, and a thorough understanding of the real estate law and, above all else, a hunger to extract the last dollar from the buying public.
2: Uh, Nice short sentence.
0: (laughs) Well, we're really keen to understand how you extract the last dollar.
2: Um, well, getting back to what you were saying, uh, Chris, I think I've always said the seven steps to an auction as far as an auctioneer is concerned. And it's basically your introduction. Um, it's your terms and conditions. It's the contract. It's the property description. It's getting that opening bid, the bidding jewel, and then the finish. Mm -hmm. And we train a lot of auctioneers and I always ask young auctioneers what they think is the most important step. Yep. And I would be surprised if anybody... There's the step that I think is the most important. Mm -hmm. Most people think it is the property description or they're getting the first bid or very few of them think it's legals. Um, Really, it all boils back to the introduction. You've got to be able to grab an audience's attention within no more than 10 or 15 seconds. And the whole point of that is it doesn't really matter what you say. People aren't listening to that particular segment of the auction. But if you can get them switched on watching you, listening to you, perhaps a little half joke, just to get them smiling, then when it becomes important for them to be taking in what you're saying, they're actually engaged. And I think to get the last sense from the buying public is a combination of two things, reading body language and having the respect of the audience. Um, You can't lord over an audience. You can't demand them to do something for you. You've got to convince them to work with you.
1: Mm. So I guess it's in the early stages, kind of winning them over. I guess is it is it it through what sort of how would you actually do that? Well, I profess that body language is
2: probably the most critical thing for the first thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. So for an auctioneer to um, attend an auction and step out in front of an audience and to be shuffling notes and to be flip flopping from one foot to the other and sort of distracted, immediately you'll lose the confidence of the buyers. So you've got to be able to. Literally take key position, stand still, have an erect bearing, you know, to stand straight, shoulders back, big smile on your face, and, and literally move into projecting your voice to the last set of ears in that audience. Mm-hmm. You can't yell. You can't, can't yell. That's a very important feature of being a quality auctioneer. But you've got to project your voice so that the people right in front of you aren't being deafened, but your voice is being projected to the people who refuse to come onto this side of the street. <laughs> um, so I think body language is probably the most important thing for an auctioneer to um, have uh, as a bearing for the first short period of time. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly after that, once you've, um, you've asserted your bearing, I hate that word, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Authority. Authority. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're right but as long as in, you're, well, in a way. Well, in, in a bit of a way. As soon as you start to, to get the respect of the audience, then you can start to talk to them about what they need to know. Now, it is important because we're auctioneers to understand the legal um, side of the transaction because if we don't say the right things and we sell a property Mm -hmm. to a person, they could potentially um, have the opportunity of reneging, of actually Mm -hmm. getting out of the contract if we haven't made sure that they understand that they're bidding on a contract. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, that's what we're doing. We're not selling a property. We're selling a contract for the right for them to move into that property in 42 days' time. So once you get through those things, and that's the boring part of the auction. So you've got to
1: skip through that fairly smartly, but you've got to cover off on that. Um, Do you find that a lot of young agents or new agents or new auctioneers really struggle with that oh, open? shocking. Hmm.
2: It's shocking. There is, not, there is not a day in my auctioneering life, and I mean this, that I don't have to confront some problem with the contract hmm. where the agent hasn't understood the contract or... There's been late amendments to the contract from the vendor, and the agent has forgotten to send them out to the people who have requested contracts. Contracts are the most important part about a property transaction. It mm. really is. And th- this is the stupid thing I find about so many real estate agents. They they don't think the contract is important enough to concentrate on it properly. And the fact is, if they don't get the contract right, they'll mm. work as hard as they work for six weeks sell the property and then have the contract fall over and they get not a single cent for their, their, hard, their hard efforts. Mm. So contracts we. are very, very, very important.
0: Yeah, we heard a really good example of that. A um, couple episodes back, Damien, Damien Cooley was in, talking about a situation in Newcastle where the property was sold without the proper certification regarding the pool and the buyer wanted to rescind, wanted to back out of the, the contract and was able to because that, there was not a certificate in there. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, the agent's... Do need to pay more attention to that, obviously.
2: But it's a funny thing too. On on this, we we do a whole training segment to agents about this. Mm. If um, if you think about it, if you're an agent and you're meeting people coming through a property, you're at an open home, and somebody asks for a contract, so this is what happens. They ask for a contract. The agent hands the contract over. That, that person then takes that contract to their legal representative, could yep. be a conveyancer or a solicitor, mm-hmm. and because they're looking at a number of properties in that time of them trying to buy, their instructions to their solicitor is just quickly flick through the, pro- the, the contract. I don't want you to spend a lot of time on it because I don't want to sp- be paying you a lot of money.
1: Does what that mean sol- you shouldn't use a 990 all-inclusive all conveyancer? Uh, <laughs> look, I,
2: I, think, I think it is pretty important to get... Good quality legal representation, yeah. but look. When I bought my last place, oh no, not my last place, but the place before that, we probably were looking at six or seven properties at that same time. So yeah. the six or seven contracts. Well, I, I've got a pretty good idea of contracts, so I didn't really mm. waste my solicitor's time. But if you're not um, if you're not good at looking at contracts, you give it to your solicitor. The solicitor, the first thing they look at is the certificate of title, mm. because mm. that is the document that will tell you of every encumbrance that's on the property, mortgages, mm-hmm. covenants, caveats, everything that is marked against that property, easements, is going to be a potential problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, if an agent hands out a contract and there is a problem on that certificate of title, the agent hasn't bothered to clarify, mm-hmm. straight away it goes to the solicitor. The solicitor says, look, I've got a problem with this contract. Are you looking at any other properties? And they go, oh, yeah, well, we'll give this one a miss mm-hmm. because I don't know what that... 3.9-metre easement to, to drain water could be. I'll do the work if you want me to look at it, but that's going to cost you some money. Oh, no, that's okay. We're looking at other properties. So they move from that property to another one purely because the agent hasn't been bothered
1: to have Explain.
2: an explanation for them when they hand mm-hmm. a contract out. So contracts are really important. They really, really
1: are. I mean, you bought a property a few years ago. You've mentioned there. Did you buy that at auction, or did I you? I did.
2: <laughs> I bought my last two properties at auction, actually, and I, I, I didn't. The second one I quite enjoyed because I knew we were the only people there, so I had control. Um, but and how the, did you know that? It was pretty obvious. <laughs> the. Right. We it was done in a, another auction room in the city who shall remain nameless. Um and I walked from my auction room to that auction room at ten thirty. We were the third property up in the order of sale. And between ten thirty and a quarter to eleven when we got there, we had I had five missed phone calls from the from the agent. So I sort of had a pretty good idea that if we hadn't turned up they're in a lot of trouble.
0: There are <laughs> and that is interesting, there are certain signs yep. that are given away. A good and we were having this discussion in our office only this morning because Dean, one of my team and I, we went to an auction for a client on Thursday night. Now, this agent, um, you know, we have profiles of agents in our office and, and this particular agent was one that liked smoke and mirrors, right? A bit like going to Luna Park into the, into the mirror room, you know, or what we do, have the special glasses on to go, no, that mirror is actually, this is what really is in the reflection. Anyway, so this guy was trying to to get us thinking that there were, well, first of all, he was trying to get the client thinking there were other buyers and it was ba- going to be sold before auction. The client rings us on Monday. The auction was going to be the Thursday. He says, right, can I engage you, please? I'm out of my debt. This agent has got me to put forward an offer and I haven't even really worked out how much I think it's worth or what I want to pay for it. Right. and he's But he's realised the minute he's given that verbal offer that he's out of depth so he's gone and got help. So we just in, heard his story and went, oh, you know what, I don't think there are any other buyers. I think he's manufacturing an offer out of you because he doesn't want to get to auction because that's when all you know the bets are off. It would be really obvious to you that there will be no other buyers. Now, we got to auction, so we dragged it out, we got to auction and we knew there were no other buyers in the room. He was... You know, you can't have dummy bidders these days, but you can have people there that you can talk to. So I was in rooms. It was There were four on that night. This was the first one. So the room was full. Our client was going, oh, God, yeah, there's all this. And I said, don't worry, there is no one here to buy that other than you, I can tell you. And so sure enough, we were the only people that made the opening bid. We went upstairs. He even went to the extent of taking some of these, these plants in the room, taking them upstairs and putting them in another room, trying to pretend that he's negotiating with them as well. <laughs> so he went through this whole charade. Now. A deal-doer agent, so in our view that's the name we have for really good switched-on agents, would have had a conversation with us in advance to
1: say, you are the yeah. only
0: one here. Mm. Um, I've had other interests, however, they're not ready, you are. You're in the box seat, you're here, you know, we've got a, we've got a vendor who's prepared to sell, let's do a deal.
2: Mm. Got and a, on that too it's important, even if you're not being represented as a buyer, that you don't get worried that you are the only buyer. I think some people, yes. they panic. They think, God, why am I the only person that loves this house? Mm. There's got to be something wrong with the house. Exactly. Nothing wrong with the house. It's just all sorts of circumstances. And what you said is exactly right. If you, if, if you have a good agent and they've built a relationship with all of the people who have shown interest in the property, they should be able to approach you and say, look, this is your lucky day. Yeah. <laughs> you're the only person here registered, not the only person that likes it, but you're the only person here registered and able to do something tonight. Yep. Work with us and we'll see if we can't get a deal struck. Our owner wants to sell it. And rather than doing exactly what your agent tried to do and the agent that we bought our farm from tried to do, um, it it was – and they they knew I was in the business and still tried to pull the wool over my eyes. Bizarre, isn't it? It is bizarre. Some of them just
0: can't – yeah, see no. beyond, you know, and they're funnily enough from a buyer's perspective, they're the sort of agents that buyers fear. But in reality, they're the ones that buyers don't need to fear. Mm. They should need to fear the clever agent, the smart yep. agent, the professional agent. They're yep. the ones that need to fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Not, not not the snaky, the snaky ones that will lie and cheat and all that sort of stuff because they make their, uh, you know, they make their <laughs> decision. Look, really I think, <laughs> and I,
2: I, certainly know. I think we're probably lucky in my in a business that I previously owned, Auction Works, that we deal, we do deal with the upper echelon of agents. We've, we've been quite quite keen to cull the ones that we don't think are up to scratch. Um, so we don't, I don't see that happening nearly as much as we used to see. So mm. I, think, I think there is a, a better
1: group of agents about now too. And when you say upper echelon of agents, what's in your mind are the good agents doing that you know, the other ones aren't? Well, well, I think our
2: industry probably suffers because it is a commission-based industry. Therefore, an agent has to win the right to sell that property at any cost. And that's the first part where uh, this smoke and mirrors starts mm. to take place. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, a lot of agents will promise the world. Uh, and in the market that we've had over the last five or six years, they've got away with it. I mean, yep. they promise the world, they go in with a ridiculous price, they end up getting it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't really criticize them in a lot no. of ways. But then that leads on. So if they've gone in a little high, that then leads on to them particularly with the new laws, them then having to work in a a different way than being completely upfront and straightforward with their buyers to try and find that one person who isn't knowledgeable on the current market trends and hope to goodness that they can get a ridiculously good offer generally before auction. I mean,
1: when you talk about The initial number that the vendor was thinking, I could sell this place for $2 million because an agent's, you know, overinflated it to get the listing and then the person selling it went with the agent that was going to offer them the or said they could get the most for it because human nature (laughs) is you go with that agent because they're the most confident. That's That's exactly right. I mean, from from your point of view though, you know, that's what I guess an anchoring bias, you know, for the the vendor, they think I can get $2 million for this. And that's they're just thinking two million. The agent set a limit at two million. They have to get two million because they said two million, <laughs> which is a random number. As an auctioneer, though, how do you use anchoring to actually drag up the price? You know, as a technique to to get people thinking. You know, I guess a higher figure when the auction hasn't even started. Um, how do you mean anchoring? So it, it, people generally, when they hear a number that's they, they, they start to associate other things to that number. So if you said, look, we're expecting to sell this at $2 million today, you know, people are already starting to think of $2 million and the bidding hasn't started. I mean, have you used that as, a, as an no, auctioneer no, no, before? No,
2: no, no, I haven't. I, <clears throat> I generally um, I generally ask a lot of questions of my agents before the auction starts, and I think most auctioneers do. Um, so you want to know what the reserve is. You've got to see it in writing. Reserves are irrelevant. It's, so the three qu- things I want to find out is, A, what is the reserve? Secondly, what it's worth, and then thirdly, where y- what level your buyers are at. Yep. Now, a good auction really means that, A, you've got numerous people who want to bid. That's, that's the first thing. Um, and if you do have multiple bidders at your auction, it is actually pretty important to allow everybody to have the chance of competing on that property. And in fact, one thing that I really do get distressed at is when somebody goes in for that killer blow and <laughs> literally wipes out a good auction because the momentum never gets built. And sometimes it's a good ploy and you'd know that <laughs> if you've got the budget to do it, to take the risk and to and to, when, the, when the auctioneer first opens their mouth for an opening bid, they go $2 million and they go, oops, I didn't expect that to happen. And all of a sudden the people who were there at maybe two but hoping to get it for $1.95, they don't even put their hand in the air. Mm-hmm. But if they got a chance to open the bidding at $1.75 and then get the confidence of bidding and bidding and bidding and they've been... Battling against another person or another couple of people all the way up, they will probably go over two million dollars just to try and secure it. You know, they often break their limits once they've got into the momentum of bidding.
0: Yes, it's really interesting you say that because that's something that certainly we try to do as buyers' agencies to to disrupt that momentum and not allow it to build up. There's many techniques that we use. One of them is that killer bid, the killer opening bid. But you know, as for a, a buyer, a bias or a um, a behavioural bias that buyers um, engage in or, or fall for, if you like, is that sense of consistency, the consistency bias and the idea being that if you have bid once, you're likely to bid again yes. because it's showing that you're interested and that's that's the whole value of this momentum, isn't it, is tapping into that consistency bias. Yep. So, yeah, so there's there's a really interesting uh, example of One it. One
2: thing we try and uh, train our up-and-coming au- auctioneers to do is to not argue with people in the audience not mm. to argue with bidders and <laughs> certainly going to be firm you, you do have to be firm but if at a level even if it's below the reserve price somebody's trying to make you know $1,000 bids and you want to be in a minimum of $10,000 bids what's the point of having an argument you might as well take the $1,000 with a mm. smile on your face turn to the underbidder and ask for an extra 9 that you get mm-hmm. your 10 in two bids, not one bid. Mm-hmm. And then that person feels happy with you. That person feels happy with you and you start to get this momentum. And look, I, a lot of people some, come to me after certain auctions and say, why do you let them go in $1,000 bids? And I go, well, to prove why it is so successful because that thing just made two hundred and fifty dollars over the reserve price. Mm-hmm. Sometimes $1,000 doesn't hurt a person. And if an auctioneer doesn't keep repeating the 2 million dollars mm-hmm. but it's the 2,321 mm-hmm. so it's the 321 322 mm-hmm. 323 324 mm-hmm. they continue to bid because it's only $1,000 but if you're being pedantic and an auctioneer who stands there on his you know dig saying I'm not taking anything under $10,000 bids you probably won't get a bid <clears throat> and so it can actually cruel a whole auction process but getting back to um, the listing process, and I played agent for a little while, as Veronica knows, and Veronica knows this very well, it is really important for an a- a agent to know why an owner is selling their property. And you know, the funny thing is, most agents think it's all about price, and it's not all about price at all. I have never met anybody that wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to sell my house because it should be worth $2 million. They're going to <laughs> wake up and they go, I'm going to sell my house because it's too big or it's too small or I hate my wife. You know, there's always a main, primary reason. If you're really comfortable in a house, you're not going to sell it in, unless you've got a debt that you can't service. So the two million dollars is irrelevant because it's the second thing in the, in the owner's mind when they go to 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 speak to agents. And I think, I think agents are very smart if they can have a, a conversation with the owner and at least ascertain their reason for selling, and then price becomes somewhat less in that discussion.
1: So you're saying <clears throat> the good agents out there are not pitching on price, they're trying to understand what the seller really wants from a Absolutely. firm's point of view or why they're even trying to help facilitate that rather than you know, just Absolutely. get focused on price.
2: And you know, I think also a lot of agents, if they get the opportunity of offering a, um, a mortgage in possession or a deceased estate property, mm-hmm. they get so excited because they really think the campaign is going to take care of itself because- there is an absolute need to sell, and it's the other <laughs> funny thing that all these buyers queue up because they think they're going to get a bargain.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But in reality, that creates the perfect auction scenario mm. because exactly. instead of having two bidders, you have seventeen bidders, and it will always make a premium price.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing uh, some some crazy thing on TV. It was uh, you know today tonight or something. This property's selling with no reserve, and then it had a. It was all over the news and you know like it was a big thing this property's not going to sell with no reserve i mean fundamentally it was a hot market yeah, and yeah it yeah. was always going to sell Yeah. and gosh. then all of a sudden it's like we're going to get a bargain because there's no reserve it's so. Mm. Uh, it's
0: a joke that the best thing you can put on an ad is deceased to, to say. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> it's just <laughs> – and the reality is not quite the case because mm. quite often you've got five beneficiaries who all want too much money for That's it. Right. But, you know, it is about that, that it's opening up and making people feel that they've got the opportunity to buy this, mm. isn't it? It's, it's <clears throat>
2: and step back a, b- a little bit because um, the auction process was never designed for real estate.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was designed for products that had a shelf life, so livestock, um, you know, dairy fish anything that is harvested and it's brought into a central area and the farmer can't bring it back home but he's got to sell it wow yeah. and what he hopes for is a good market you know uh-huh. where there is a lot of buyers that want his products and demand will force a premium price Houses aren't necessarily like that because they, they don't have a shelf life. They're, they've been there for 40 years. I'll be there for another 240 years. And I think people have got to understand that you've got to drill down and work out firstly why the owner is going to sell. And I think it's not playing agent, but I think I generally at my auctions, the last thing I want a buyer to hear as I'm asking for that opening bid is that, ladies and gentlemen, the owners are here to sell. This property is surplus to their wishes, and they've given to us a good price. Uh-huh. And that then gives the confidence to the buyers to go, oh, happy days, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I can have a crack at this thing.
0: I love the surplus to their wishes. <laughs> yeah, you've heard that once <laughs> a I've oh, heard <laughs> that a few times. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh,
0: auctioneers do t- tend to come up with an interesting vernacular, don't they? But there are lots of strange things that auctioneers say. They use strange language. I mean, you don't necessarily. You're pretty down-to-earth language. But why do you think some auctioneers speak in this sort of language that is not really common parlance, you know, it's not the way you normally talk.
2: Yeah, uh, look, there is a, a little bit of a fine line between sounding like you know what you, you're you doing and sounding like you don't know what you're doing because it re- really is important too that, and this is about body presence and everything, but I think if an auctioneer doesn't look and sound the part, they're not going to get the respect they, they need to get the job done. But you're right, some auctioneers tend to bring in these these words and sayings and things which really confuses everybody and does really no good for the process whatsoever. (laughs) You see, I've always said you've got to connect with the audience. You've got to build a rapport with the audience immediately. And that takes um, empathy which is a word I use a lot when I, I'm training people. Empathy and humour, I think, as long as it's not overboard, is something that breaks the ice a lot. And I think most auctioneers have got their funny little one-liners that they know when to drag them out um, because it will get a good response. It'll get a little giggle and it'll make people feel good about the process.
1: Relax. <laughs> when you say empathy, I mean, are you referring to the different types of buyers? You, you know, Are mm. you showing that you know if it's a person trying to buy a home versus an investor – do you ever think that that ever plays into an auctioneer's mind when they're actually helping?
2: No. Look, at one of the questions I ask is you're expecting five registered bidders. Or you've got five registered bidders. What are they? Investors or owner-occupiers? Oh, mainly owner-occupiers. More than anything, I don't necessarily need that information because I'm wondering what sort of psychology I should use on individual people because I won't even know who they are. It's not as if they wear a hat saying, I'm an investor. But it's more because then I know to bring in... Words like high yielding opportunity, or th- the agents tell me that this property should return approximately seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred dollars per week. Whereas if it's all owner occupiers, that doesn't even enter my spiel, you know. I and I, I think the word empathy for me is more just understanding that, and this is what a, pe- a lot of people don't realise. We're asking people to bid in a public auditorium for no more than three or four minutes for a product that could potentially be worth $10 million. So we're getting them to spend a lot of money in a very, very short period of time. So logically I'm going to put myself in their shoes and live a little bit of the stress that they're going through. It's not easy for buyers to front up, particularly first-time buyers, and to stay in control. I've done, I think I've done pretty close to 40,000 auctions now in my career, and when I go and bid on a property myself, I do not like the experience. No. I really don't. I don't know how you go, right I, I
0: don't bid for myself.
2: No. Oh, don't you? No. Oh, don't you? Because I
0: hate it. Yeah. And, and I feel the elephant. I mean, so this podcast is called The Elephant in the Room. The elephant is the metaphor for our emotions and, and I'm the little rider on top of the elephant. If that elephant wants to go left and I want to go right, guess where we're going, folks? We're going left. And I know during an auction that under stress I will... As victim, I, I can be as victim to all of that same mm. stuff that's going on as a buyer that is unrepresented. So I want to do what I do with my clients, which is pressure test their resolve before we get to the auction, so we don't have any of that stuff going on during the auction when FOMO or fear of missing out is is you know at its height. But it is interesting. Is that what FOMO stands for? Funnily enough, I've used it so many times <laughs> I've been asked to explain it. So <laughs> to, I do it now. So FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, the psychologists will say that a good decision. It's difficult to make a good decision under pressure and it's good. It's difficult to make a good decision in a short time frame. Now, obviously, that's what you as an auctioneer is going to play on, um, the fact that, you know, they're under pressure to make a decision in a short time. Do you think there are some people, well, tell me your observation, I guess, of the different ways people respond under pressure during an auction?
2: Uh, it, it's a vast difference. I mean, we get the uh, smart-ass who turns up with the dark glasses and leans against the wall and, um, you know, doesn't listen and talks during your opening spiel and all those sorts of things.
1: Do you like them as an option?
2: No, I want to chuck a brick at them. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, I just ignore them and they're, they're, the they're the character who hates to be ignored. So if you ignore them, you're going to end up getting a bid from them because they get frustrated and they, you just don't even look at them. You know, mm-hmm. and finally they've got to wave at you. So, look at me, look at me. Yeah, but I never, <laughs> will, I would never ask them for the first bid ever. Mm. It's just no point because, again, when you ask somebody, you look at somebody in the crowd and you, you ask them to make a bid, you've only got one or two things that's going to happen. You're either going to get a positive or a negative. <laughs> and negatives don't necessarily help. They, they can become a little contagious mm-hmm. and a lot of people will then sit back. So, I mean, I use a little catch cry which I use quite regularly that I look at somebody and I say, come on, so you don't look like you're scared of a bit of competition. You know, you got your sleeves rolled up. You start the bidding mm-hmm. and you're going to get my favouritism. That's really important, isn't it? And, look, I won't say nine times out of ten, but seven times out of ten I will get a positive response. Mm-hmm. Often it is too low, in which case then I have my own little jokes about what bit of the house do you want to buy, you know, and all yeah. of those sorts of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it's really important for us to get a response of some description which is positive. It might not be at the level you want, but it is at least somebody coming to you with an offer. And mm. if it's too low, you can very politely knock it back, but at least the audience has heard something. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: so looking at those individuals, their body language, the way they respond, you know, it's 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 so good, you know you're doing a good job when you look out and people are nodding mm. with you as you're talking about the property or the contract and all that, you know you, you've, you've got the audience engaged. And then as soon as I'm in that position, I know for a fact that we're going to have a result. Mm-hmm. It might not be a sale, but we're going to get it to a high point where we've got somebody to talk to at the end of the auction. And that's the other thing. An auctioneer, their job is, is sounds a little silly. It's not so much to sell a property, it's to find somebody who has got more money than anybody else. Or that particular property or product on that particular day. Mm-hmm. And we, Veronica, you know this when we played when you you were playing agent. we <laughs> We often know prior to the auction that there is one group that has more money than anybody else. you know they've they've made all the right overtures, and a good agent will pick the fact that they are the ones that are ultimately going to own the property. Problem is we don't have the competition to push that person to their highest potential price. So, we then, as agents and auctioneers, need to make sure that we protect our owner's best interests by not necessarily taking their best offer at auction. We might pass the property in and negotiate afterwards and try and get them up a little, or mm-hmm. do it while the auction is still running, which is a much better system. And it's as simple as the agent going across and saying, You know, you're nearly there. Your bid's 1.2 million. The reserve is, Look, there it is. It's one, 1.3 one point three. If you pay the one three, it's yours and they, they'll they'll sometimes meet you in the middle, won't they? Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting
0: you say it's better to buy under the hammer under those circumstances. Better for the vendor or better for the buyer? I think
2: it's better for everybody. I, I think it's really important for the um, vendor, obviously. Um, but I think it's really important for buyers to buy, let the hammer fall, you know. Mm-hmm. Because you know then, like the owner does, that you've got a contract that's in play then and it's an enforceable contract. You can, you can sue an owner who decides to try and get out of the contract as well as long as that hammer falls. Mm. And then there is no backroom dealing. There is no gazumping. There is nothing else that can literally go wrong as long as you sign the contract and pay the deposit. It's your property. You can go out there and get on the squirt and enjoy yourself. <laughs>
1: Be interested to um know when you're actually uh, running an auction, what are some of the things that some of the bidders do that you think this guy knows what he's doing or this girl knows what she's doing like some of the, the techniques that they use where you think this is really slowing down my momentum it's it's not great you know can you kind of pick a few out that maybe yeah you well, think that I know this person's really yeah. trolling the crowd better than me yeah
2: yeah, and I think the ones that probably do um control the crowd the best are, funnily enough, the people who don't have the emotional attachment to the property. So investors generally, I always, I use this analogy that, that, that compared to investors and home um, owners, home buyers for, who are going to occupy the property, one is an emotional buyer. The other one is really concentrating on bricks and mortar and dollars and cents. And really, they know that their best return is at that price. And once it goes $1,000 over that price, I'm not interested, I'll go and find something else. Mm-hmm. Particularly investors that have a portfolio and they're building that portfolio. They don't have to just buy the, the the next property that's up for grabs. They tend to be the ones that control that that auction environment the best because they are confident, they have a limit in mind, and they work to that limit. And they don't back off. They go hard to the limit and then they just stop dead. They mm-hmm. literally stop dead.
0: Running to the cliff.
2: Yeah, pretty much, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? The ones that that I worry about, and it's not really a worry because it's not not my property, it's not my vested interest, but I do get concerned about first home buyers who don't bring an experienced head with them to an auction and they just get lost, you know, Mm. and I've seen it so many different ways but I see it where they overspend and ridiculously overspend and I see it where... How do you know
1: when they're overspending?
2: You can just see the panic on their face but they won't stop. And in fact, I've, I've stopped an auction more than once and said to the young couple who were there, I just suspect you're over your limit and I want you to think about this. And after the auction, the owner actually came up to me and said, Thank you for saying that because I was really getting concerned about them too. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's good. But I've seen them too where they just won't bid. They just they, they freeze. They freeze. Mm. They literally just freeze and they lose the opportunity of buying a reasonably well priced property.
1: And how do, how do you, in that scenario, have you, Found ways where you can get get their confidence up to actually make a bid. Is there?
2: Yeah, look, I I have. There's lots of ways that an old mature head like mine can get people to to operate. Yep. And it's not it's not all in counting and threatening and carrying on. Generally speaking, um, I'm now very upfront with things, so that if we've got limited amount of interest and it is inexperienced, I'm more inclined to to do what Veronica was sort of saying is to to have a chat to them, not. Literally talk to them, but in a in a public gathering to say to them, look, if you start the bidding at seven hundred thousand dollars, I promise you that's not going to own it. I promise you that. So you have got nothing much to lose, and if nobody else beats your bid, I'm going to pass the property aside. We're going to ask everybody to leave, and you're going to have the first chance to negotiate after the auction. Mm-hmm. Would you say seven hundred for me? And they go six fifty. I go, mm-hmm. I go no, no no no, it's got to be seven <laughs> hundred. Oh okay, seven hundred. So. And and what that does is to take a little bit of the pressure away. And and this does sound a little bit hard, but as soon as we get that opening bit of seven hundred, I can then turn around to the next person who is refusing to bid and say, "Look, guys, you can't sit there doing nothing anymore. Mm -hmm. If you want to buy this property and you have got seven hundred thousand or more, you're going to have to compete with that person there. Otherwise, they're going to win the first right to negotiate." Okay, seven hundred five. And <laughs> as soon as you've broken the ice, generally it, it will get, you know, it'll get a wriggle on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Broken the seal. I mean, it has to be, the first bid has to be the hardest to get, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Not always. And, and again, this is a transitioning market. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that for a fact, but this is what I'm seeing.
0: Well, we're all experiencing yeah. that, it's yeah. It's a
2: transitioning market and this is now where you need to pull every trick out of your auctioneer's bag mm-hmm. to get a reasonable result. And that's, as I keep saying, a result doesn't necessarily mean a sale, but it means that you found somebody who you can talk to immediately after the auction is finished. And that's really an important thing for auctioneers too. We can't, if we've got registered bidders there, we can't walk away without having a bid recorded so that the agents have got somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm.
0: It is really interesting, isn't it? Because you've got social proof, which can be a real problem in a hot market, and that buyers will look around and go, well, it must be worth it because, you know, most people over there are bidding. Um, and then you've got social proof, which is a problem in a, in a slowing market because buyers looking around, they want reassurance from other buyers. They don't want to be the only mm. mug to like yes. the property. Yep. And um and it's very much about those conversations. You're talking about how the agent talks to them, how the auctioneer talks to them. And I guess how many wasted opportunities would you see currently in a slower market, wasted opportunities in the sense of buyers getting in their own way, stopping themselves just because of this pure fear. Um, Look,
2: I I, I see it a little bit, but I'm still seeing more on the owner's side of the equation. And this is the problem with this market at the moment. It's as if owners don't read the same newspapers as buyers. And owners are still expecting a premium and buyers are expecting a discount. So Mm -hmm. the difference between those two prices is getting wider and wider, that gap is widening. And it's 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 getting very difficult to put together. So today actually, and and I suppose because of my age and maturity, I can get away with this a little bit more. And because we do control the commercial auction market in Sydney to a fair degree, in fact we do the the bulk of it. So our my face and Jesse's face is quite Mm. well known. And I said today on a property that was worth in the agent's estimate six to six point five, the reserve was seven point eight Mm -hmm. and the bid was at $7 million, and the owner was saying no. The buyer got up and said, this is ridiculous. He didn't use that word. He actually used a different word Mm. um, (laughs) and started to leave the auction room. And I said, wait, just wait. And he stopped. I turned. I didn't know who the owner was, but I said Mm -hmm. to my owner, there goes your deal walking straight towards the lift. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Now, this is a cash offer on the table. For goodness sakes, consider it. You've owned this property for 35 years. Mm -hmm. And they finally came around and said, okay, we'll take it and that was you see these deals going missing because of mm. this expectation or, or or this breed that owners are currently experiencing. The stupid thing is the market actually in my opinion residential market hasn't really dropped in real terms. Mm. I don't think it's just taking a lot more time and effort to get to the same figure that we were getting in the middle of last year. Mm-hmm. But owners have got to realize that if they're selling now their timing's actually pretty good. They've gone through four or five years of incredible growth, Yeah, their properties are basically doubled in value, and now they're quibbling for a premium on top of it all. It's just mm-hmm. if they want to sell their properties, sell it. Now's mm. the time to do it. It can, it can get really only get worse, in my opinion.
0: It is really interesting because uh, my theory is behind or un- underneath auction clearance rates is this mismatch between expectation and delivery. And, you know, You've got there are buyers around. I mean, a clearance rate in the, in the mid 60s basically means you've got a buyer for every house. That's that's fundamentally, effectively, what it means. This is the, de- the the definition, effectively, of a transitional market in Sydney. Anyway, is that expectations of owners are always in excess of the market. Always, mm. it's just in a rising market. By the time they get their property on them on the market and to auction day, the market has actually risen to meet the owner's expectations. And so, what happens when the market slows is that you've got. Expectations for the vendors still high, not rising in terms of the general market. So therefore, there's a mismatch. So if the vendors, like you said, read the same papers the buyers were reading, then potentially we could still have higher clearance rates.
2: Yeah, and look, (laughs) this this whole myth about clearance rates does my head in. Mm. It's just it's like it's it's the number one um, indicator statistic indicator of of the property's um, health, and it's not a fair indicator at all. It's just nonsense that you know when the clearance rates at 70 72% everybody th- thinks the market's on fire it only has to drop to 60% and all of a sudden the market's dead mm. mm-hmm. it's just it is a silly I-, I wrote an article actually about how the media should rely upon every indicator not just clearance rates mm-hmm. but they still mm-hmm. do it
1: you mentioned i i mean i'm fascinated by technology and technology's revolutionizing you know many industries and like real estate's not going to be is you no know, is one that's changing i know you're doing some work around auctions and Uh, Technology. Can you explain a bit more about what you're doing there?
2: Yeah, look, I think we've probably been um, at the forefront of technology across the board. I've always been conscious, even though I'm absolutely inept at technology, but I'm very conscious to to, it's a bit like the empathy of a buyer. We have got to make it as easy as possible for a buyer to compete at an auction. Um, So we, we, um, have to make it accessible to them and 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 make it a comfortable as comfortable an experience as we can. So six, seven years ago, I developed the first online auction platform in Australia for real estate, uh, where there is no interface with an auctioneer. it's purely um, online bidding um, on a keyboard or a smartphone. And we run our auctions over days, not minutes, mm-hmm. um, and we can have a five day auction which uh, actually straddles the last open, open for inspection. Mm -hmm. and Like a test match. It it nearly is. It nearly is. (laughs) Probably more exciting though than a test match. (laughs) Um, And as auctioneers, we are allowed to have a starting bid, which is not a vendor bid um, Mm -hmm. because that's the bid that we wouldn't allow it to start under because we don't think it's in the best interest of the vendor. The vendors can still have one vendor bid made through the auctioneers Mm -hmm. and everything is still completely transparent, but people can bid from the comfort of their own home or office basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when it comes into the last five minutes of the auction, ev- everything's up. You know, you can see, we even tell people when the property's on the market, when, when it's reached mm-hmm. the reserve. So every time a bid's made, people can see that they're holding the highest bid, but the reserve is not yet reached and there's still 15 minutes to go on the auction. And mm-hmm. we have SMSs going out and, you know, it's just a, it's a very smart, simple way of um, conducting auctions. And the, the, the results we've had are, are quite outstanding. I mean, the government, New South Wales government, uses our system, you know, reasonably regularly. And they did a portfolio of property um, across New South Wales for residential property that they didn't have any need for any longer. Uh, certain departments, I'm not certain which the Surplus departments Surplus to are. their needs. Surplus to their needs, thank <laughs> you. And uh, even in um, Broken Hill, now Broken Hill, lovely place, but you wouldn't expect to have anybody turn up to a residential auction if you did it on a Saturday okay. morning, we had five registered bidders and it made 30 something thousand over the reserve price. And not one of those bidders came from Burke. So it's just a new format. New, it's a well proven. It's not, it's not, not, it's not new, new, mm-hmm. but it's just a way that I think gives another avenue for our owners and, and uh, agents to, to maybe look at a different uh, selling technique.
1: I mean, it's quite good foresight there too you know, disrupt yourself almost. You know, you're basically building a tool that, you know, no longer needs auctioneers. No,
2: look, I, I'd have to say, um, because people say, you oh, know, you're cutting your nose off to spite of your face, but I don't think it'll ever take away from the, um, the on-site inner-city auctions or the in-rooms campaigns. I think there is still definitely a big need for a quality auctioneer to engage the emotions of people. This is more for uh, commoditized goods, say units. The unit market is absolutely perfect for this this platform because you know what the value is. You know that there's 32 uh, units in that building. They're all two bedrooms, and the mean average price has been seven hundred and sixty-eight thousand dollars. So you start the auction at seven hundred and forty, which is a bargain, and you ended up selling it online for seven hundred and seventy. You know what I mean? So,
0: so, so it's a way to create well. A it's opening up new new opportunities or new new markets for auctioning. Property, mm. as opposed to the traditional private treaty exactly, market. Exactly, our market,
2: main market. So
0: you're sort of yeah. extending into a different marketplace rather than. Yeah. I, I mean, the reality money. is, I mean, if Nokia had got into smartphones, you know, they they wouldn't be out of business. Uh, they're out of business, something, but yeah. um, or Kodak. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it is yeah, disrupting yourself is always interesting from that point of view. But so this is opening up the idea of property auctions into markets that wouldn't typically go to auction, but. You know, you're putting a, a deadline or a you know a timer on it. Sense of urgency. You know, this is this is the idea behind mm. it, right? So it's actually getting a result. Yeah. And what you're saying is that quite often it actually gets a surprising result. It actually gets more than you would have expected. Say if you put a price, an yeah. asking price on it.
2: Exactly. And and I think to the psychology behind it, and there is a definite psychology on online bidding. It's it's quite amazing. Mm. But in in that last, like if the reserve hasn't been reached, the, the probably the best thing that we built into this thing is that if the reserve's not reached, the highest bidder, when the clock counts down to the end minute, immediately gets to see the reserve price on their screen with a button to say, yes, I'll take that. Right. And they can increase their offer and, and buy the thing without any further competition. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now,
2: that creates competition, but it, it, it is… Or creates
0: urgency, do you mean? Well, no, or, or, it creates
2: competition because yes. if, if I'm bidding against you and we my limit's 700 and yours is 700 the bid is… And and the reserve is um, is seven hundred for the yep, sake of the argument. Yep, yep. Um and the re- the current bid is six hundred and seventy and it's stating that the reserve is not reached. Right. And I know it's not my bid. I know full well that if I stop now, you're gonna to get to see the reserve, and that reserve could be six hundred and seventy-five. I don't know what the reserve is. So oh. I've really got to really bid to my limit to, to make this thing to give it the best chance.
0: Interesting. So Interesting.
2: it's still not a silver bullet. It's not if you've got no registered bidders, it's not gonna work. But the other thing, too, I think gives owners, because auctions are an incredibly emotional time for owners, too. You, you don't see it anymore, probably, very often. But most owners don't want to attend the auction. They just want to be in the coffee mm. shop. But we need them there. I mean, you've got to have them there. And they yeah. hate it. They really <laughs> hate that experience. So this
1: is are hiding somewhere a lot, in yes, exactly.
0: with the curtains drawn. <laughs> so this is
1: goes like $200,000 over reserve. Yeah, well, and then, then they're, they're quite happy. Yeah, Jump yes. up and down, yeah. But, but this <laughs> is a
2: much lower impact for people. Yeah. It just takes the stress out of the auction process. So, look, it's, it's not – I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's not really going to take away from the traditional style of auction. It's going to be an adjunct to private treaty transactions, particularly EOIs, which I've never quite understood. Of is, yeah, yes, for- expression of interest, that is. Yeah, that's an expression of interest, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I don't know if it, if it will. I'm quite confident that this, you know, there's been um, these type of apps have come out in the US, uh, especially in hot rental markets, to to push up rents, mm. you know, because, you know, if you're renting a, a property out, it's, it's you know, the, the agent so much can't really say who's going to give us the most rent for this. But, you know, generally speaking, someone offers $50 a week more and, mm. you know, they happen to get it. So, I mean, and gamify- gamifying the whole bidding process online, um, you know, human behaviour, you know, probably works quite well with yeah, technology. No, have you noticed all that?
2: Yeah, I have. It's quite funny because in the last, I was saying, I think in the last five minutes, if, if a bid is made, the clock extends to a full five minutes. So, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, you, right. you, you don't get into snipe. So yeah. you might say the auction's going to end at two. It might not end until Thirty through. or, or f-
0: oh, keep going. Well, right.
2: we've had one. The longest one was it ran for two and three quarter hours after the official end time.
0: Wow! But so it made
2: it made three point one million over the reserve price.
0: So this mm. is this is the equivalent of being in rooms or on site at auction yeah. when it's over the reserve and they're just fighting for the death yeah. to own this yeah. property. Exactly. And uh, yeah. right, they're actually doing it online in their own dark little room. But you don't get five minutes <laughs> in a else. real auction. You no, get no, five no. seconds
1: exactly. And so yeah. five minutes is enough to think about things. You start getting. Know, your emotions, you get this loss aversion, the opportunity cost of what happens if we don't get it, I'm going to feel regret. Yeah, that's right. You know, I guess it's, it's delaying that as, that as long as <laughs> right. an auction too,
2: I mean, you might have, it might be a property that you need to renovate. So you've, you've got a quote mm. from your builder, you have factored that all in and you know that you can only bid to this level. On an online auction... As it's going and you go, oh, it looks like I'm going to run out of money. You ring your builder up and say, what, yeah. what can we do to bring your cost down a little so I can buy the property? Because if I don't buy it, you're not going to get the job. And they go, well, how about you put off doing that floor finish for the time being or doing this or doing that? So it sort of gives people time. Um, and I look, I'm, the frustration I have at the moment is that agents haven't embraced it properly yet. They haven't, they, I don't know that they're scared of it because I say it's not a disruption because it's a tool for the agents. We're not. Going directly to owners, um, but I, I, I wonder why more agents haven't tried it out in the in the rural market in the you know in those areas that, that people don't travel to auctions as a rule.
0: It was look this up. There was one uh, someone else. I'm not sure if they're associated with you or, or or themselves have set up a platform for online real estate auctions, and they had a house in Lilyfield. And Adrian Oddy, who's at uh, Bresick Whitney in Balmain, he sold it, and it was an online auction for, for at the time. It was a few years ago now, and it did get an a ridiculous price. Mm. It got about three hundred over what was what was expected, uh, and I think it sold for about one point eight. So you know, right. we would have thought one five itself. You know, from memory, um,
2: was that on Victoria Road?
0: No, 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 no. It was in Ryan Street, I think. Right. Um, Lily, we'll right. have to look it up. But um, yeah, look, so we were, we're know if- the
2: first. Where there's others come in, they've sort of come in, but. I think, um, yeah. There's another. Uh, there is another group, but I have. I haven't seen anything in Roselle. We they, did but a they development come site. Back.
0: We've seen nothing more. Yeah. Of it. So it was actually the owner. So this guy just basically dummy tested his, his own product on mm, his own property. Right, I mean, right. that's faith, isn't it? You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> but. but and it got an amazing result, and yet nothing. There's been mm. crickets ever since. We've mm. never seen it come up. It hasn't got any traction. Mm. So it's quite interesting, and I yeah. wonder whether that's an we're, agent we're Just,
2: just it's, fru- it's been frustrating, mm. but but luckily it's not my core business, so it hasn't been a problem. So we paid for it. It's mm. Built. It's incredibly expensive to build those yeah. that sort of technology, but it is built. It probably needs to be modified and renewed fairly soon, but that's okay. We've got the we've got the technology now, but it doesn't cost very much at all to keep running. So it's not like we're, we're, we're not making money from it. Yeah. So the more we get, the, the more successful it will become.
0: I mean,
1: one of the things that mm-hmm. frustrate investors, buyers, you know, home buyers the most is the transparency around yep. the real estate market and not knowing, you know, what something's actually going to sell for. Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I guess what this does do is brings transparency. You might time that on a Friday afternoon. So, you know, it might kick off people's, you know, wanting to get this sorted before the weekend. I mean, I can imagine someone like a realestate.com.au or Purple Bricks or something would, Yeah, we're We're
2: talking to a couple of them um, at the moment. Um, And, in fact, we've just finished building a different platform, which now takes, this is the exciting part about technology, I think, is that we can now transact from end to end without a piece of paper. From campaign start through exchange to settlement is all done online. Mm Mm-hmm. So,
0: and that's having into electronic conveyancing. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And, and electronic conveyancing is going to revolutionise, in my opinion, real estate across the board because you take your investors and this is one little frustration I have with uh, residential property investors. For some reason the vast bulk of people who only own one, other, you know, one investment property or maybe two, they want to have it next door to them. They want it in the same suburb, yes. um, mm. which is so dangerous in my opinion because it's not sort of – Divesting your, your 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 risk, mm-hmm. um, whereas if you had these tools, so so there's another tool that my, my old company developed was a, a yield calculator. So not on the online platform, we can bring it in, but in a commercial auction room, you see the bid as well as hear the auctioneer, and then right next to it, it says that bid equates to six point eight percent return, Interesting. net return. Mm-hmm. So an investor true, and I'm not saying residential investors aren't true investors. Please don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But in a commercial investment sense, they are much, much harder on the physical returns that they're going to get. So if they see 6.8%, they go, I'm comfortable. They have another bid. And then they start stopping at 5.5 because they're suddenly thinking, well, at 5.5%, I'm not comfortable enough to think we're going to have all that capital growth to make that a wise investment. So they actually stop bidding. So That transparency and the tools that we've now got will make, I think, buying investment property in Australia and abroad, but in Australia, much easier and much more confident for people.
0: Every week, we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Okay, David, help us out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo because we can all learn what not to do from these examples.
2: So, look, the dumbo of the the week, if that's what you're after. Yep, I'm after one. (laughs) Is the people who don't do their homework and live to regret it. Mm. And the homework, look, and you'll have heard this a million times, but if you're going to buy at auction, just understand that you've got to be organised and you've got to be financially secure. You've got to have the money to actually settle the matter. So it is absolutely critical because um, there is no cooling off rights at all at an auction that you have done your homework, your due diligence, and you are completely comfortable with the product you're buying, with the area it's in, and with your capacity to be able to, to actually finance that arrangement. You know, you saw this as much as I did, and we used to giggle about it. People would come in five minutes before the auction started register and buy a property. Mm -hmm. Now, I just, I I cannot believe that they did that. I just, it it beggars belief. And again, it's splashed across every media outlet you ever see regarding the current market. But it's even factoring in how it's going to impact your life if interest rates move by half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent, two percent. It's a matter of being able to have safety and, and, and a barrier for some discomfort down the track.
1: I mean you've been doing this job for a long time and has has it always been this way? Because a lot of people talk about the property market and they say, oh it's all crazy at the moment. But was it crazy 20 years ago? Were people doing these oh, yeah, same yeah. crazy things yeah, 20 yeah, years yeah. ago? Look
2: we we have been through I'm I'm I think I've been through now four cycles in this since I've been in Sydney doing this real estate. Potentially five. There's been a a sort of a small fifth one that I think you could sort of say was a cycle. And and what I say by cycles, we don't generally see much downward movement in property prices. They just sort of stagnate and plateau. And then in another five or six years, it gets another spurt. And that spurt might be driven by government incentives, interest rate drops, whatever it might be, will then spur that next wave of growth. Um, But in that time, every cycle I've been through has had. Um an area of ridiculous heated buying activity. Now it hasn't lasted for nearly as long as this last one. In fact, mostly it's under twelve months or around about twelve months. This one has just gone on for a lot longer than anybody expected. Um, but they're always the same this This one has been a little bit more intense, I think.
1: And out there in 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 Sydney, I mean, I guess you see things that I guess are concerning. Is there any parts of the Sydney investing in general, where you think you're worried about what people are doing?
2: Probably not so much anymore. I was worried 12, 18 months ago. I was, I was quite concerned about how, how feverish the market was. Um, and I saw mistakes. I saw a lot of mistakes. And we'd walk away, everybody shaking their head, saying, how on earth will that couple ever get out of that property? And I don't think they ever will. They just, it will, it, they just paid such a premium that it could be 15 years of growth and they won't get their money back. And see, we're mm. seeing that even now where I did one just the other night where a person took $100,000 less than they paid for the property 12 years ago. So 12 years ago, they must have paid a ridiculous price for it. Yeah.
0: Well, which oh, wow. suburb was that in jazz? That's
2: season Suburbs.
0: Yeah. So that's – I mean, this is the thing that people – really feel that they can't go wrong in these inner areas, and you can. You can absolutely go wrong. I mean, there's less, less chance of it, but it does come down to mm. what you pay, doesn't mm. it, if you pay a stupid price. Interestingly enough, you, I mean, because you, you also do auction in Melbourne and in Brisbane. Is there a big difference, would you say, between you know, the way buyers are or the way they behave in, in the Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane yeah. markets? Brisbane,
2: we bring most of our Brisbane property now to Sydney or to Melbourne and do it in our Sydney rooms, but have telephone bidding from interstate. Uh, Melbourne mainly for commercial
1: or residential? Yeah, mainly
2: commercial. Mm. Um, pretty much hundred percent commercial, actually. Yeah, so that's that's where I go. Do a, I don't do I'll do a tiny little bit of residential in 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 Melbourne. Do a bit in Canberra, uh, not a lot, a little bit in Canberra. Canberra is now becoming a much more auction oriented uh, city. It wasn't. It was hopeless. It really was. But it's mm. it's now getting into the, the groove. Uh, Melbourne is completely auction oh, centric. Yeah, but. Brisbane, you cannot get them to bid if it's up there. I've noticed that. They they will compete so furiously at sport and everything else and they're so parochial and proud, these Queenslanders, Mm. but they won't make a bid at an auction. It's just ridiculous.
0: Why are agents selling auction as a a method under those circumstances? What's what's the the gain for them?
2: Well, I think it's going to start probably where it was in a city, where – the lifestyle issues made it a little bit more attractive to take properties to auction, and it's just an educational process. Mm. I mean, you'd have heard this a 100 times too. Oh, we don't auction property out here. People don't like them. Well, they like them soon enough, mm-hmm. once it's done enough and, and mm. people get used to the practice. And, and I'm like you. If they're conducted properly, the transparency of the process makes it a better buying experience than private treaty transactions for, for buyers. I mean, I often say at my auctions, look, now, you'd have heard me say, look, a lot of you have probably been to an auction before and probably not liked it. But the really good thing about the, the auction process is the transparency, which you don't get at private treaties. You know, you wouldn't know what's going
0: on. It's very true. When you're negotiating on the end of a telephone, you've, got, you've only got the agent's word to, to take. <laughs> well, look, David, I think that the insights that you've been providing have been absolutely amazing. Um, the depth that, of knowledge and experience that you've got, and as I said, I personally learnt from you. I mean, in my, my found, founding years in real estate were all my auction smarts were taught by David Skoll. So <laughs> I've, I've got a lot to, lot to uh, thank you for. In particular, I mean, I've noticed, you know, the seven steps to an auction, well, that's funnily enough, I wasn't aware that it was could be broken down to seven
1: steps, so I'm going to jot those down. Do you have anything you can provide for our listeners on that? Do you have any documents?
2: <laughs> A fair bit of information about contracts. Uh, I've yeah. got a whole. I've got a whole. Um, well, Je- Jesse owns it now, so I yep. have to make sure he's okay. Yeah, with it. yeah. But it's a PowerPoint presentation, just literally on contracts. And, and oh, cool. Look on contracts. Yep. GST has been in this country since two thousand. It's eighteen years. It's been in this country, and today at a commercial auction is like every other Tuesday that I've had. We're not one, but two contracts had no, no mention of what the GST implication was going to be.
0: Ah, oh, so th- that means bidders are bidding not knowing whether it's going to be the price they're bidding or add 10%. Yeah, exactly right. And they're still bidding there's, even though they don't know. Well,
2: funnily enough, I I, I sort well, of feel that up, that's right? a pretty big indication from an agent. They float through a five-week campaign and nobody queries the GST. They've so had no conversations no, with their, their, there's
0: their no buyers. There's no interest, I yeah. would have thought. Yeah. And
2: they wonder why nobody turns up.
0: Either you've got someone stupid who's got way too much money. I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, that must be your most frustrating thing, right, when you rock up and there's no bidders no one. Some agents just try to, you yeah. like, come on, mate, it's a good property, you just... I know, no. I know. Yeah, that that <laughs> is frustrating, it really is.
2: And, and, of course, if they don't get it right in the first week, the mm. chance of them having competition on that, that final Saturday is, is, it buckles because you, you can't get organised in a week or two to actually go to an auction and bid on it. So um,
0: It is critical.
2: It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it
0: is, ac- you know, the, the this whole marketing campaign is...
1: Yeah, that's right. And if you don't get it right at first, then start sticking around. People have already ruled it out. You remember in the
2: Balmain market, or that 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 area, Roselle Balmain, Lilyfield. I reckon you and I had an eighteen month to two year period where we pretty much sold everything, didn't we, at auction?
0: Yes. In fact, I remember it very clearly. So I started in the beginning of 2000 and it it ran till the end of September 2003 and that's well documented to be the end of that boom. But what happened at the end of every year was going into spring, we started passing properties in. But 2001, so if you remember, I remember I had 100% auction clearance rate up to September 15, 2001. Now, if it hadn't been for 9-11, that could have run right to the end of the year. 100% clearance rate. And- it was just phenomenal. I mean, you know, the glory days. I'm lucky. I mean, I started property in my property career in, in a boom and I'm lucky that I was able to get some good skills in that time because of what I'm looking at now are the, the agents that have come into the last boom and aren't necessarily enjoying the fact it's a little bit harder for them now.
2: No, and and, and because this, this, this cycle has lasted as long as it has, we've got a whole group of young agents that have never experienced a bad day and they haven't been trained for it. They haven't. They're... they're their knowledge of a tough market is going to make it quite difficult for them to succeed, I think. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to put them off, but it's, it's desperately necessary for them to go out and start speaking to some old heads that, that can tell them what they can expect and how they can get it through.
0: Well, we'll have to get them listening to this podcast. Exactly.
2: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.
0: So, look, thank you so Pleasure. much for
2: coming yeah, nice. in to visit. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, David. Thanks, Cheers. Chris. Good on you.
1: We want to make you a better elephant rider. So this week's elephant rider training is?
0: Well, I have to say the thing that I picked up the most from our conversation with David has been the importance of getting your contract checked before you go to auction. I'm actually quite astounded the amount of times he says that people do turn up to auction without having their contract checked. And the very fact is that it is 100% binding for a buyer. So they're not all the same. Contracts are not all the same. So rather than go to your conveyance or your lawyer and say, look, I just want you to cast your eye over it and make sure there's nothing glaringly wrong, you need to get it reviewed properly because there's a huge amount of risk in not getting your contract reviewed properly. So it's worth a couple of hundred dollars if that's what it's going to cost to get that contract checked before you go to auction. Don't scrimp there.
1: So, Veronica, what have we got to add to our Elephant Memory Bank this week?
0: In the Memory Bank this week, we're putting some resources from Auction Works, which will really help buyers when they're preparing to go to auction.
1: Please tune in next week because we're doing a special episode. Veronica and I are going to a lot of detail around what drives capital growth, what's a good property, what's not a good property, and what's really going to be affected when the prices are falling and how not all properties fall when prices are falling and how not all properties go up when prices are going up. So, I'd love for you to listen next week. And don't forget, you can ask us questions. We're here to help. We're here to discuss the ideas and your thoughts. All you need
0: to do is go to our website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au and you can fill in the form, tell us your burning question and we will answer it.
1: The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brew. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk and edited by Gordie Fletcher.
0: Until next week, don't be a dumbo.
1: Me again. We're looking forward to spending more time with you and uncovering what's really going on in the world of real estate. Please subscribe. Be sure to send us a message, leave an iTunes review, and tell your friends.
0: Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.